today is March 17th, 2018, and it's 217 days until the Vancouver municipal election. KMB Report is the new Vancouver politics podcast, and this is our first episode, so forgive all the fuck-ups. I'm Ian Bushfield, originally from Politicoast. I'm Patrick Meehan, originally from Podkey Barland. I'm Erin Redekop, originally from the Tipsy Archives. On today's episode, we're going to do a bit of a backgrounder. What's the history of Vancouver? Why do we have political parties? Some of those basic questions so that we can always just refer back to episode one. And then we're going to do a bit of a state of the race. Where is Vancouver at? Who are all these people running for council? What parties do they represent? What do those parties even mean? What does a nonpartisan association really mean? And why do we need to have a coalition, Vancouver, that's even less partisan than the nonpartisan association? But first, Patrick, why don't you try to explain what it is we do on October 20th when we go to vote? Yeah, so uh, Vancouver's electoral system uh, municipally is fairly unique in municipal electoral systems in North America in that we have decided to combine the worst elements of first-past-the-post with the worst elements of mixed-member plurality. So what you do when you go to vote is you get 10 votes for council, and you have to vote for 10 different people. You get one vote for mayor, and you have to vote for one person. Uh, And then you get to vote for your parks board and your school board. And I'm not going to pretend to remember how many people are on each of those, but you get one vote for each of them. So I believe, if I recall correctly, there's approximately 27 different votes that you have to cast on that day. And usually there's going to be two or three bond allocation uh, referendums as well that allows the city to issue a bond to pay for stuff. So it gets very difficult to remember that many names because you have something like 50 people running for council at times. Plus yeses or noes. Plus all these yeses or noes, plus people running for parks board and school board. I guess the first question is, what is, why do we have a park board and other cities don't? Well, I mean, we do have, I don't know, I'm a fan of the park board. I think that some people say that there's too much democracy is the argument, which is what Newfoundland said when they voted to no longer have democracy in 1925. Uh, the actual, the prime minister at the time actually stood up in the legislature and said, it's, I think we've had too much of democracy and then voted to not have any for the next 20 years. Uh, the park so, board did just try to ban balloons. And so, belugas. And, and I thought it was belugas mating. That too. They want to ban all cetaceans, and they passed that, and they're now fighting that in the courts. Um, and but, losing, but I do think that the parks board has a, a valuable purpose in... Vancouver has more parks per capita than uh, most other cities in, in Canada. Vancouver, there's a lot of elements to the management of those parks. The Parks Board is not an operational body. They're a they're, they're, they're purely governance-based body. So they, they set broad goals and strategies and aims, and then the staff execute them. And I think that there's something to be said for that. I guess if you can go out to parks all year round, you need somebody to manage them. So we have the Park Board. We have the Council. The School Board, I know, interestingly... It's not really interesting, but actually extends over UBC. So yes, Vancouver. Well, a lot of uh, civic services extend into UBC, including garbage collection and whatnot, where uh, UBC endowment lands will, uh, the the residents just simply have to pay for that process. And then they actually physically in the UBC endowment lands do get to vote for parks board or for, for school board. But they don't get to vote for council. They don't get to vote for park board. No, nor do they have to pay the full property taxes, though. They only pay uh, property taxes insofar as it pays for the services rendered. And so they have to pay taxes to pay for garbage collection and sewage maintenance and things like that, but literally nothing else. 
It seems weird to me that that would happen because, like, they get affected by everything that Oh, no, the, the whole UBC governance structure is wrong. Yeah. Cause everything about it is wrong. They don't have a municipal government to oversee them. They have to, they, they, they have an RCMP detachment that, they, that is not accountable to any, any local elected officials. They, it's, everything about it is wrong. They do get a little bit more freedom to design housing for students and those kind of things. They're not subject to Vancouver's municipal zoning quandary that to an extent because ubc effectively is the 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 the, ubc is effectively the municipal government there they're able to they're now Mm -hmm. legally able to set things like like noise restrictions and whatnot uh and they're able to set aside land for different purposes but it's just a weird weird asterisk in our 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 municipal structures it's basically going to be our entire show is here's the weird asterisks vancouver it's strange UBC is what electoral district A. Yes, electoral area A. Okay, and so the would the Which, president of UBC then essentially be their mayor? No, actually, electoral area A does get to elect a representative to the mayor's council uh, in Metro Vancouver. Uh, and electoral area A isn't just UBC; it also includes Barnston Island on the Fraser River. It also includes an island off the coast of Bowen Island. It also includes a handful of other very small areas in the Lower Mainland, uh, including areas I, I believe by Alouette Lake as well. But this may be farther into the weeds than a Vancouver political podcast needs to go. Probably. And we'll get into some of the other municipalities over the course of the next 10 months, probably. Vancouver, so like we said, has 27 people you have to elect. And I think it's this council specifically that if you go in there with 600,000 other people across Vancouver, if everyone voted, which will never happen, it's hard to know who these candidates are. And I think that's where political parties become hyper useful in this situation. People like to shit on political parties all the time, but it's a good umbrella to say, hey, these people roughly agree on the same set of policies and ideas. And that's the ideal of political parties. And at least at the municipal level, I think they've been a little less strict Mm -hmm. for better or worse than some of the federal ones. Yeah. And and for Vancouver listeners, it is fascinating that I mean, I come from the Lower Mainland, and so to me, political parties have always existed at the municipal level. But for both of you, political parties, when you moved here, were this sort of at a municipal level, were this sort of weird abnormality, right? Uh, and so the rest of Canada looks at political parties at the municipal level as being, you know, laughably stupid. But I mean, the first time that I had to vote here, and I was told I had to vote for ten different people. I was just like, if it weren't for political parties, I would start being like, hey, you have a name that I like. And which, it would have been impossible to figure out what to do. Which is also why if, you're, if, you're, if your last name on the ballot comes early in the alphabet, you're, you're doing pretty well. There's a reason why the NPA, the, the top three candidates for the NPA to win election in the last election are named Affleck, Ball, and DeGeneva, because A, B, and D are high on the, on, on the alphabet, which means that your average voter decides to vote for, you know, I'm going to vote for five, five Vision, uh, one Cope, and then I'll give, you know, three votes to the NPA, and then you don't know any of the individuals, so you just vote for the top three NPA candidates on the ballot. And our ballots are listed alphabetically by surname, just... For simplicity, I guess. Yeah, and yet other <laughs> other jurisdictions that have you know done some advancements have actually randomized the alphabet. For example, uh, so like uh, the the famous uh, California uh, gubernatorial election where they had something like eighty people run, uh, they they randomized the alphabet so it determined where it went. Uh, other systems you have di- you have multiple ballots. So you'll have some ballots where your where this candidate is the top of the ballot, and some candidates where that candidate is the bottom of the ballot. That just and it's random random allotment who gets what. 
I think that would be helpful, too, on websites where you're learning about different counselors or people running for city council, because you have a tendency to read the top three or four and then branch off. You're like, I I don't know what the person whose last name who starts with Z stands for at all. And all of their candidate write-ups talk about all of the, the local events they've been to and the, they went to Italian days on the drive and... Oh, they all read the same. So your eyes just glaze over, right? And the system for the candidate's point of view is actually pretty terrible as well, because people will know my co-host on Politico, Scott, is running for a nomination for the NPA. That means he has to visit this entire city all of the time to convince everyone in every corner. Well, there are more friendly city parts of the city for him, and there'll be more friendly parts of the city for like the one city candidates. But when it's an at-large system, you kind of need to go at large. We, we did used to have wards. Uh, wards were limited in the 30s uh, out of a fear that the socialists would, would win a majority on council, so they changed the, the electoral math, uh, which is a, a BC tradition. Is uh, If you think the socialists are going to win, change the rules. Well, but now the socialists at the provincial level are going to change the rules to help them win forever, if you listen to the, <laughs> Andrew Wilkinson's, but this isn't the provincial politics podcast. So. <laughs> I'm a big fan of wards. I find it so much easier, and I don't know. I also feel like with the ward system, you get somebody who actually is representing the needs of your community. Um, like if you have a, a different community than somebody who lives on the other side of your city. Yeah, I, I would su- I would support a mixed system where you have uh, half of your councillors elected by ward and half of your uh, councillors not elected by ward were elected at large. So that as a voter, you vote for, say, two or three candidates. You vote for your, your ward candidate and then your, your at-large candidates. I think there's something to be said for uh, city councillors that aren't beholden to their community. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think there is something to be said for, you know, city councillors who are beholden to their community. You mentioned the election of 1930-whatever when Vancouver switched to the at-large system. And I think that's when you were saying the NPA started. Yeah, so in the, I think it was the early 30s, they eliminated the ward system uh, in order to keep the socialists out. And then by 37, it was still looking like the socialists were going to win. And so the two political parties of the day, the Liberals and the Conservative Party, were squabbling so much that a group of businessmen came forward to solve the problem. Uh, And the group of businessmen came forward and they said, we're not partisan. We're neither liberal nor conservative. We're just anti-socialist. And so they ran as the Nonpartisan Association because, to their mind, uh, nonpartisan is not liberal or conservative, and socialists are not legitimate partisans. And so the NPA has been surprisingly effective over its history. I know it's held the mayorship and majority on council multiple times, and I think people have even described it as one of the most successful political party machines in at least North American history, if not many other countries where... Yeah, it's, it's, come and go. it's staggering how many electoral wins the NPA has racked up in the last, I guess, 80 years since they were founded. When was their last win? The last one was 2005 uh, when Sam Sullivan uh, beat out the, 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 the broken apart and, and conflicted uh, left. The left had won election for the first time. Cope won their first ever election in 2002 and promptly fell apart because that's what the left does is, you know, as soon as you win, you immediately decide to fall apart. Uh, and so, yeah, the NPA hasn't has been uh, has been out of the out of office for longer than I think any other time, really, in their history. Uh, and it's really interesting to see what's at, what's going on with them now. Do you think that's because Vancouver politics are slowly shifting to the left, like rather to be center left rather than center right, or? Uh, I think it's actually more that they got really into their own heads. 
I think that the NPA over the last 10 years, they fought three elections where they thought the number one issue was bike lanes and wheat fields. And the number one issue <laughs> in reality was housing and daycare and other issues, like like actual issues. Um, but they fought three elections in a row, or they correction, they fought the 2014 election, they fought the 2011 election, and the 2008 election, all of them really over bike lanes. Uh, the 2008 election was the, the, the outlier because they did support some bike lanes in that one, um, but they really fought in a weird way on this like one issue campaign. Uh, and I think that they're, they seem to be finally coming out of this like weird haze they were in where all they could say was bike lanes. Uh, and that might mean that that seems to mean that they are a, a real force again. And you mentioned is Vancouver moving left? And I think yes is the answer on a social level for sure. We see Vancouverites voting for liberals and new Democrats at the federal level and even mostly NDP at the provincial level now, except for some of the more affluent South Ends. And I think it's that they're not the social conservatives anymore. And so any party that's appealing to that doesn't do as well as they used to. And if you look at the history of the NPA in recent history, they've kind of abandoned the social conservatism. They might not be the leaders on trans rights, for example, but they did do a lot on in terms of, you know, going with harm reduction and introducing some of the four pillars tech approaches to health. Now, maybe they can go as far as many advocates in the downtown east side would call for, but they went farther than you know, a conservative mayor for of Calgary at the same time might have. Although Calgary, I think I was mentioning earlier, often elects liberal mayors, but yeah. that's a weird situation. <laughs> well, but also, I mean, the NPA had, I believe, the first openly gay count- city councillor in, in BC, uh, if not Canada. Uh, and they, they had a number of people coming out of the, the gayborhood of the, the, the West End as well that, that, that were candidates and, 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 and councillors for them for many years. Like Gordon Price is a classic example of the sort of the, the, the middle of the road uh you know, person to come out and be a city council for the NPA for years. And so they, they didn't, I mean, I know I'm going to catch flack from this for my like hard left friends, but like the NPA, when they were governing in the nineties and the eighties, weren't all that far to the right. I think there were instances where they were, but I don't think that it was all that far. I think how I best heard it described is Vancouver gets divided along this developer versus like social housing kind of approach. If you, how much, or even before that, it was the developer versus union money. Where did you get more of your funding and now at least all of that is out of local politics, thanks to the provincial government last fall, which will make this upcoming election interesting. But Well, I, I don't know if that's always been the case. I think uh, Vancouver has been in a housing boom for 30 or 40 years, uh, since before, 40 years since before Expo. Uh, but what Vancouver did was Vancouver took a bunch of brownfield and redeveloped it. And so Vancouver decided to create Yale Town. Uh, and, you know, we built a pile of housing uh, in Yaletown and Vancouver decided to build the Olympic Village where, you know, Aaron and I live. Uh, and they, they, they turned, you know, empty fields into housing, massive housing, huge density. And they've done that a couple of times with all of the open land that they had. And I think about 10 years ago when they finished building out, when they finished building out the Olympic Village, they ran out of areas that no one else used. And so it was really easy to add a whole pile of people to Vancouver every year if you still have open land near mm-hmm. your downtown core. Like the idea that in, in 19, 1980, Yaletown was a bunch of brownfield was like all of Yaletown that we know of now was just a bunch of open fields with log booms in False Creek. Uh, and now, we, you know, 30,000 people live there. It became developer centric and this, 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 this partisanship or this, this, this fight between developer and, and community uh, as soon as we ran out of free land. 
and started having to figure out how to add more people still in land that people already lived in. I won't say we're totally out of land. There is still a bit of the Northeast False Creek where the viaducts yeah, and, that, yeah. and that giant yeah. lot that Concord Pacific's been sitting on for. Yeah. Which yeah. most of that has but, to be park land. Um, and also there, there, there is the, 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 there's the Jericho development uh, that's going to go in, which is going to add 10,000 people to Vancouver. Um, but by and large, we've ran out of open land. And so now the, the pressure is on, and that means that people are having to see change in their communities. Whereas we managed to have suburban single-family development you know, three kilometers from downtown Vancouver. What city can say that they have that still? And we did it because we had empty land for it. And now people are angry because now we have to figure out how the next 10,000, the next 10,000 people move in. So that takes us through NPA with a few touches, but... So the NPA won a lot. And then uh, in 2002, they finally lost to COPE, uh, which COPE finally gets their first real win under Mayor Larry Campbell. Uh, Larry Campbell, uh, the former head coroner of, Van- of Vancouver, which I will say is a little weird, the idea that your head coroner becomes your mayor. I don't... He knows where the bodies are buried. <laughs> I watch a lot of crime television. That's really normal. And fascinatingly enough, the day that he became mayor, there was already four seasons of a TV show that revolved around his life on CBC at that point. Because uh, CBC created a TV show called Da Vinci's Inquest that was based around his life. Uh, and then he becomes mayor in 2002, and Cope immediately falls apart. Uh, they break into uh, uh, Diet Cope, as it was known in the media, or Cope Light, uh, which was Larry Campbell and what would become Vision, and it became and, and it broke into the Hardcore Cope, which was like Tim Lewis and and fellows. Uh, and by 2005, Cope is a, a, a broken force, uh, and so Vision has cre- has come out in 2005, where they compete the election under Jim Green, who was a longtime poverty advocate who passed away a couple of years ago, sadly. Uh, Jim Green is also the reason why, as an example, our our manhole covers or our sewer covers in in Vancouver are have artistic designs on them because like, Jim Green thought. Why do we have? Why would we ever have boring uh, sewer covers? And actually, goes farther than that because a lot of them are trying to have Aboriginal artists because yes. they want to make sure that we're uh, respecting and showing the connection to the original people on the land and showing respect oh. to the communities. Uh, and so Jim Green then runs under the Vision banner in 2005. Uh, I don't believe that Cope ran a candidate in 05. I believe that, uh, if I recall correctly, that Cope and Vision uh, came together for a power sharing agreement or a brokerage agreement. Uh, and ran against Sam Sullivan, uh, who had been a long-standing city councillor, well-known person in the community, and uh, an additional candidate ran in that election, and his name was James Green. Uh, and James Green got, if I recall correctly, 20,000 votes, uh, which was close to the difference between what became Jim Green and Sam Sullivan. And like we said earlier, with names being listed alphabetically by surname, you'd have Jim and James right Side by side. At least James yeah. went first. Well, and that, absolutely, and that's part of the problem. Yeah. Uh, and so Sam Sullivan wins and over the next three years uh, resides over some significant pro-developer activities as well as some significant labor strife. Uh, and the Vancouver Olympic bid. And the Vancouver Olympic bid, uh, which had been uh, actually begun several years prior to that by the Glenn Clark government. Uh, mm. Yeah. Uh, oddly enough, Glenn Clark and the NDP in 98 uh, brought about the Olympic bid. Uh, fun fact. But yeah, Sam Sullivan was a very controversial mayor. Uh, one of the things that happened was during Sam's strike, as it became known, uh, the yeah, the Shangri-La building was, uh, was, was, was approved against all of the height restriction rules that Vancouver had at the time. Uh, but it was approved uh, in part because the strike was on and the, and the staff weren't in the office to be able to say no. So we have that strike to thank for Trump Tower as well, since it, I think, also 
exceeds that same height restriction. Yes, once once you break the height restriction, it's gone forever, essentially. Yeah, it's kind of uh, hard to get it back. It's like union bargaining. He yeah. got it. Why can't I get it? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so then 2008 comes around in the next election, so three years later after Sam Sullivan, and uh, a number of people are planning on running for vision because it was believed to be the party that would beat Sam. And Sam Sullivan was so disliked at that point. It, we we forget how much he was disliked at that time because he's sort of reconsolidated himself as an MLA over the last bunch of years. for Vancouver. Well, and his weird, like... Doing public salons the YouTube and public videos and the urbanist on videos, the of and he's just a character of the city yes. now. Yeah, well, and he shows up to everything too, which is really yep. impressive. I'm sure we'll get him on the podcast at some point because yep. so we'll three, do that. So three people ran for Vision Vancouver in t- for for the nomination for mayor in 2008. Uh, Al to Geneva. Uh, which we'll get to later in terms of his daughter, who's now a city councilor for the NPA, who had been an NPA Parks Board representative but broke from them. Uh, Raymond Louie, who's a current city councillor, and Gregor Robertson, who at the time was a rookie MLA from the Canby Corridor in terms of uh, for the NDP, who had really cut his teeth on fighting the BC Liberals over their decision to cut and cover the Canada line and the, the, the damage that did to the businesses. Uh, Gregor Robertson stomped uh, the mayoral nomination and became the mayoral candidate for Vision, which then cut a power-sharing agreement in 2008 with both Cope and the Greens, uh, where everybody got... Uh, seat set aside for them. This is where Adrian Carr starts to come forward. I don't think she won at that point yet. Uh, this is where Andrea Reimer comes forward. This is where a lot of the vision team that we know of uh, really comes together, coalesces. Well, and it's worth maybe pausing there for a second. With the power sharing agreement highlights one of the features of Vancouver's electoral system that I don't think we touched on, which is it doesn't actually make sense for any one party to run a full slate. Like if you run, oh, absolutely. If you run 10 people, you're you dilute your brand. Exactly. Well, and, and people aren't also going to remember 10 people. And there's even a mathematical effect where people will vote plump. So they'll only mm-hmm. vote for five or seven candidates that they know and like. Mm-hmm. And their votes then are actually a bit stronger because they're not voting for someone they only kind of like mm-hmm. than someone yeah. who fills out their ballot. So if you fill out your ballot, your votes are diluted. Yeah, absolutely. And so what you saw in 2008 was uh, vision stopped. Uh, they, Vision had eight seats set aside for them. Uh, Cope had two seats set aside for them. Uh, and the NPA only won the one seat. Uh, and this was the weird election because Gregor Robertson and Peter Ladner, Peter Ladner, who's now with the Suzuki Foundation and has written books on uh, farm to table and, and agricultural evolutions that you can have within a city. Peter Ladner is a fantastic person. He ran on a platform of, of massively expanding bike lanes in Vancouver under the NPA banner. Uh, and it was the only election we've ever had where the two major parties were fighting over who was going to build more bike lanes. And then everything went dark. Because nobody liked bike lanes? Uh, well, this was when the Burrard Bridge bike lane was being really pushed forward. Oh, okay. And it even only just became a full reality. It was just a pilot for so long, but... Well, and it was a, it had been a failed pilot initially, too, because the, in 2003, I think it was, they attempted a pilot for the Broad Bridge bike lane, and it failed. It was poorly designed, mm. first of all, but also uh, talk radio and, and people got really livid about it, uh, and it didn't even last for the duration the trial was supposed to last. It was supposed to be, I think, a six-month trial, and I think they pulled it after three months. So do people hate it more than the Hornby ones? Because I remember there being well, people in arms over Hornby. But I think the thing is that every time you take away a lane for bikes, there's less uproar than there was before, mm. like for the one before that. And so you had the first time they tried Berardi, it failed miserably. Mm-hmm. They, 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 everyone was upset about it. 
Uh, and then they tried it again, and it's never going to get pulled out again, as far as I can tell. Well, they just rebuilt the bridge and intersections around bike lanes, mm-hmm. yeah. and it's safer for everyone now. But basically, what I think you're oh, sort of highlighting, say. that idea of it going to fewer and fewer people is it was half the city. Now it's like five cranky old people. Yeah, that, which is much better. Uh, And then in 2008, the other thing that I really want to highlight in 2008, the candidate that came uh, one off from getting elected uh, was Kashmir Dhaliwal. Uh, Vancouver has never had an Indo-Canadian or a South Asian elected to council. Uh, And this is a real um, racial problem. Uh, We have uh, South Asian candidates, whether they run for a left party or a right party or a center party, get less votes than anybody else running for those parties. Uh, and that you don't see that with, 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 with East Asian communities. You don't mm-hmm. see that with, with Filipino communities. You see that this, this South Asian community, which is a huge percentage of Vancouver's population, doesn't get elected. Uh, and that is one of the reasons why I generally vote for South Asian candidates every chance I get. Well, and they get elected at other offices. Yeah, we have Har- Harjit Sajan from yeah. South Vancouver. And we have... South Vancouver has always has, has, has consistently had a, a South Asian elected to it, uh, or or an East Asian like Wei Young. Uh, South Vancouver had Ujjal Dazange before that, uh, and uh, Herb Dollywall before that, uh, and so you have these ridings where you do get elected. But because of the at-large system and whatever other reasons, South Asian candidates are at a real disadvantage in Vancouver. I don't think we actually said earlier that COPE stands for the Coalition of Progressive Electors, <laughs> as well, as opposed to coping with defeat. Uh, uh, I don't think we need to get into team who were I team in the sixties, the seventies were quite strong as well as in the eighties a little bit. Uh, but team really was a, the centrist att- attempt to, 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 break the NPA. Uh, and they tried to, similar to, to what vision eventually did, which mm-hmm. was sort of exactly that thing, that model. And so now we're seeing vision kind of collapse and cope is still well, floating possibly. around. Vision yeah. might collapse. Remember vision has a lot of money in the bank mm-hmm. and some extremely talented staff. Uh, there, some of the best municipal staff you could ask for are still working with Vision, and so I, I think that the the rumors of Vision's demise are, are 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 quite premature at this point. We're not seeing people step up to run for their council or possibilities anything. or yeah. anything. Well, there's a huge turnover in Vision councilors. We're we're also still really early. Yeah, um, we're we're in March. You know, oftentimes these things don't get decided until once you hit the summer, uh, and so we'll see. But it is that is it is concerning. If I were a vision, it, you know, and I have voted vision consistently in my life, you know, as I voted for a couple of cope candidates, a couple of NPA candidates here and there. Um, yeah, I, if I were a real vision person, like a senior person in vision, you know, I'm worried, but I also know I have a pile of money in the bank more than any other party. Mm-hmm. I also know that I have a bunch of staff that are dyed in the wool dedicated. So I think they can. Hang, I think they're going to find a way to make it work. At the same time, we are seeing the rise of alternatives. So mm-hmm. the new alternative is this one city, Vancouver, which yes. is trying, I think, in one way to be which, the, which the new COPE. For the 2015 election, when everyone thought Vision was dead again. Because mm-hmm. remember, everyone thought Vision was dead in 2015. Everyone thought they were dead in the water. Kirk yeah. LaPointe was going to be the mayor and that Vision was going to have a bloodbath. Uh, but they managed to pull through again. Uh, R.J. Aquino was their city council candidate in that election, and they had a number of uh, school board candidates, so one uh, as well as, I think, Parks Board. Uh, and one city uh, was this breakaway from COPE, which is fascinating because Vision is a breakaway from COPE. And so what COPE does is COPE loses elections and creates political parties that win. As the less uh, politically knowledgeable person, I always think of one city as breaking out into a song. I feel like they should have a pop band. <laughs> They're a British group, actually. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
we were saying earlier, we're both from Alberta, me and Aaron, and there are, there's this weird tradition of theme songs of Alberta politicians. It's usually country music, but... They're amazing, and you can find them on YouTube. And the it's the just Ted Morton here. song, specifically. The Ted yes. Morton song yes. is Ted Morton is, is, is the man. Classic. Yes. Um, but we don't have any of that Yeah, it's not a BC thing typically. as much. I was trying to look up good yeah. tunes to use for this podcast. Well, Philip but... Owen, I'm sure, had a tune. Oh, and Vander Zam, obviously, because... You can learn the history of a candidate by their song, though. Yeah. Tells you a lot about a uh, candidate. Um, but I guess we, we got to 2008, where Vision dominates, uh, where they had an agreement uh, with Cope, where Cope didn't run a mayoral candidate, and then Cope ran a number, a number of council candidates. And I think we're actually, the reason why that's important is I think we're going to see something, we could see something like that happen. Uh, we're already seeing uh, the Greens and Cope in one city come together, and I think that they will eventually uh, have to or should invite Vision into that tent. We'll see. Um, but they do that. And then 2011 election comes around, and, and, and again, it's another stomping ground. Uh, the NPA runs an extremely... Uh, a, a extremely regressive campaign. Uh, they fought for, they, they basically said they were going to tear up all the bike lanes. Uh, Suzanne Anton was the mayoral candidate who uh, went on to become attorney general under the failed Christy Clark government, or I'm sorry, the four year Christy Clark government. Uh, and you also saw, like, this was, this was an election where Suzanne Anton and the NPA hired somebody to dress in a chicken suit and go to every single vision announcement and dance around in a chicken suit. Classy politics. Yeah, like this was classic. This was this was the ugliest that politics gets. Uh, this was really dark politics, and it didn't succeed at all, which I think is great. And ten years later, it probably would have succeeded. Yeah, well, especially if you're in the states. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Trump never even had hired anyone to go like dance at Clinton rallies. Oh, but... it was ugly. It was really ugly, and it's demeaning. It it demeans the political party that hires the person. It demeans the political party that it's, it's employed against. Because if you're a staffer and you've got a chicken following you around. It demeans the voter. And it demeans the voter. It's, 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 I don't know. I, I was very disappointed in that election. I still voted for uh, two vision, two NPA candidates in that election. I voted for, uh, if I recall correctly, Sean Bickerton and I believe one other one uh, that I quite liked. Uh, but like, that was a tough one. And then the other party we haven't really mentioned uh, are the Greens, who yes. sort of arose. Which in 2011, Adrian Carr gets elected. Um, well, and this past by-election, everyone they put up for school board won and got the highest votes, which yes. demonstrated some thirst for the Greens. Maybe? After only having won one seat on school board. Uh, and that's, that's fascinating to me. Um, it's one of those places where they strategically went, we're only going to run three because we don't think we can do that well. Mm -hmm. But they should have run six yes. or something. So Adrian Carr wins in 2011, uh, is the first Green on council. Uh, now, uh, Andrea Reimer, uh, who is a Vision City Councillor, had been the first Green elected in Canada when she was elected to Parks Board uh, in the early 2000s. But nobody had been elected uh, other than NPA and vision essentially for political parties in vancouver in a while well and it just makes sense to vote for a green for park board it just seems yeah, brand, that's, that's a, right? yeah. that seems like an easy <laughs> why wouldn't you do vote yeah. for the greens there uh and so now you've got 2011 so so seven years ago now you've got uh adrian carr in office the greens are a real force uh cope gets uh essentially cope cope is falling apart at this point start we're starting to falling apart they 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 still have ellen woodsworth elected if i recall correctly and i believe they still had tim tim lewis elected um but they didn't have anybody else and they they, they didn't do very well uh and then three years later we get to 20 2014 uh which is when kirk lapointe from the global former global mail editor runs for mayor for the npa Gregor Robertson, again, runs for a third time. Now, Vancouver doesn't traditionally have mayors win a third time. 
And so this was historic. Uh, the, the Cope fell apart in that election massively, completely collapsed. Uh, and the Greens, you know, again, Adrian Carr goes from getting in as a counselor to topping the ballot in 2015 uh, as the top council winner. And the, the vision again wins. Uh, RJ Aquino runs for council for, for, for one city in 2014. Loses, but not by very much. And that's 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 of worth noting. And I believe he beat, he beat out Cope for, for votes. Any Cope candidate. And RJ is up for or seeking the one city. Candidate. And RJ, if, if one city has any, any brains at all, they'll run RJ as one of their candidates. I have to assume he'll be a candidate. Uh, and so in 2014, all of this happens. This, this sort of... Uh, Gregor Robertson, two weeks before the election, famously apologizes to the voters for the way that Vision has been uh, aloof and, and arrogant. Uh, and the voters buy into it. Also, you know, the NPA again runs a, a, a car-centric anti-bike campaign and lose. And so the, the moral of the story is stop running anti-bike campaigns. Stop uh, running people who should run in the suburbs in Vancouver. Just because your message does well in Dunbar doesn't mean it's going to do well on Main Street or in Strathcona or on Renfrew or literally anywhere other than Dunbar. Well, which is another thing that makes it harder when you have to run somebody that appeals to the whole city. Yes, absolutely. Well, and, and Kirkland yeah. Point, I think, appealed somewhat. He did. He 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 most famously in that election called for uh, counterflow lanes on major inter, major arterials, similar to what you have on the the Lionsgate Bridge. Mm-hmm. He wanted uh, Gravel Street and Broadway Street to have a lane that would go one way during the morning and one way during the afternoon. I mean, that's one solution. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Adrian Carr in that election uh, came up with two platform points that I want to highlight because I think that it's really important to note that the Greens are not necessarily all that environmentally friendly or urbanist. Not that urbanism is necessarily the environmentally friendly utopia that some of the, the more housing people say it is. Um, but she, she floated two ideas. One, she floated barring bikes from certain roads. Uh, which bicycles being barred from certain roads you could consider to be a little bit of a stupid idea. Also really hard to enforce. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, she also suggested, and this one gets to the, like a really bizarre core, she she suggested in that election that uh, you there should be a limit to how many laneway houses can be added to one lane. Why? Well, she said that it was becoming out of control. That there were four or five or six laneway houses in a lane. So... There's been some connection between just like the things the Greens once elected vote for and not wanting other things in your backyard. backyard? <laughs> um, but like, the thing that gets me with that the most is that, to my mind, where in our legal system do we ever say you can't do something because your neighbor already did it? Sorry, sorry. Sorry, people are allowed to do this, but only so many. And then we don't allow it legally anymore. We have lots of things we license for, so like hunting. Like, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And I guess there's for like licenses. Rations. And, yeah, you, you ration something. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're but, absolutely. You, you only get so many tags for moose and stuff like that, I guess. And laneway houses are the moose of Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it's running into my bus stop. Uh, but yeah, so that that election was fascinating in in that it was, I think, you could consider it potentially Vision's last gasp, where they 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 they, they did one last grasp and held on. Uh, the NPA, I think, hopefully have learned that lesson that they can't fight. That regressive campaign again. Uh, one city proved that they were a legitimate party. Cope proved that they really weren't. Uh, and Cedar Party, which existed for a brief flash and have resubsumed into the NPA, proved that they had no merit. Uh, the Cedar Party was a very anti any density party that had, you know, 
I think Mustangs, like cars, as their like uh-huh. their their vehicle that they would drive to events. Uh, and so that was the, the the thing. And then over the last four years, some changes have happened. One, elections are no longer every three years; they're every four. Two, there's not uh, corporate union donations corporate at the municipal levels. That's huge. Which Although was... there was in the by election, which I think Vision used to kind of stock up the coffers as they kind of threw the it. <laughs> yeah, we know uh, we can't. Vision Vision raised piles of money in the by election and spent nothing. Yeah. So there was a by-election la- uh, earlier this year, or last year? Was it last it was year? last year. Last year. Yeah, uh, so where, it's uh, 2018 now. Yeah, where, where Vision ran Diego Cardona. Uh, I believe he was 22-year-old uh, local community activist. Uh, maybe Colombian feel- refugee. Yeah, Colombian refugee. And looking at great his... Great story. Like, looking at his history, really I feel really unaccomplished. Yeah. Uh, like a great candidate. Uh, but he came in, I think, fourth or fifth. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, you had uh, the NPA ran Hector Bremner, who now is a force, who's running for mayor of the NPA. Uh, potentially. Uh, potentially. He's running for nomination. Uh, and uh, what else? There, Cope contested the election, but didn't do well. Cope nominated Jean Swanson, who ran as an independent, because yeah. she generated a grassroots campaign for her. Mm-hmm. And you very rarely see an independent yeah, come so- forward at this level. Well, in researching but, for this this podcast, uh, Gene Swanson led Cope in 1988 election. Uh, I was three years old. <laughs> I, I I was pretty. It's it's pretty stunning when you go through the history of the different parties because you see things like uh, Cope gets back on the scene with uh, with young city with 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 young Parks Board representative Spencer Herbert. Uh, who is now Spencer Chandra Herbert, an MLA in the legislature? Uh, you see things like like all that all through these histories. Is this is the this is the brewing ground? This is the breeding ground of future MLAs and MPs and so and on. Uh, premiers and even. premiers. Mm-hmm. I mean, two of two of our recent premiers uh, came, were Vancouver mayors. Uh, both uh, Gordon Campbell and Mike Harcourt were mayor of Vancouver, and Christy Clark ran for mayor of Vancouver or ran for the NPA nomination uh, against Sam Sullivan in two thousand eight. So we're talking about the by-election. You had uh, Gene Swanson as independent, I think, came in second. And you had Judy Graves run for one city. A very identical campaign. On a very similar platform. Mm -hmm. Gene had a very, like, three-bullet-point, you know, mansion tax, rent freeze. I forget what third one. Just build affordable housing or something. Expropriate Mm -hmm. land. Like, kind of a socialist kind of. She she had a press conference in front of uh, Chip Chip Wilson's home. That was Where she had a giant bill. Handmade bill. Handmade bill of how much he he would owe in taxes. Uh, and it's really easy to vilify Chip Wilson because he's kind of a movie villain. Yeah. So Judy Graves ran on the less caricaturable version of that and came in just behind, yeah. which... And so the two when, of them combined for almost double uh, Hector Bremer's vote. Like, And they, then you also yeah. had Pete Fry run for the oh. Greens, who... And Pete Fry, close as well. Pete Fry also ran a 20, 2015 election and did respectably. Pete Fry will, I, I assume, uh, reprise his role as a council candidate for the Greens. Uh, and Pete Fry is a really, really uh, vote forable candidate. He's a smart guy. He thinks that he, he knows the issues. He's done the homework and he's done his time. Uh, Pete Fry is going to be a really interesting one because the Greens could really break through this election. I have a question about the Greens. Is Do you think that the increase in the popularity of Greens provincially will impact them municipally? That's a complicated question because the Green the green support is on the island provincially. Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily Vancouver. So yeah, you've got a really good question there. And I think that could it could very well be the case. I think one right. thing it does is it makes the Greens look respectable like a real party they're not just fringe like and they're not just and they're not just adrian carr yeah 
Because uh, I think yeah. you could say prior to this last provincial election that the Green Party in Vancouver was just the Adrian Carr Party. Yeah, well, and I, I think having them do well, even though it's on the island, like not only does it raise the profile, but it raises people's notice of mm-hmm. them. Like, And I think especially in a system where you have to vote for... 10 people, if you recognize that the Green Party is a good or is a powerful party in somewhat, then you're more likely to vote for them because you're more likely to see something get done. And we saw that in November when the Green candidates for school board took like 5,000 more votes or Mm -hmm. something absurd Uh than the next runner up. And I thought they would do poorly because I thought that Janet Fraser had done a particularly poor job of being a a school board representative under the previous school board. And now she's chair. And now she's chair of the school board. Yeah, the ascendancy of the Greens is really interesting. Now, it should be noted, they're not a lefty party. They're not a a progressive left party. They are, uh, in theory, an environmentally friendly party that also has very pro-business background. Uh, And so they're they're an interesting party. They're they're sort of filling a void that a sensible right-wing party should be able to dominate. So we're moving into this discussion of where the state of the race is at in advance of this election. And as I pointed out in the trailer, and as you can find on my Twitter feed, I've kept this ongoing uh, Google spreadsheet of everyone who said they're running for something. That list is amazing, by the way. Yeah. And thank you for putting that together. I just kind of felt I had to. And it was also, full disclosure, obviously a way to help promote this podcast. Yes. Because then it gets more attention to me and all the Van Pauly people are looking at me. And then it's like, hey, also, here's a podcast. But what I've noticed easily on there is there's a ton of excitement for the NPA. There's so many people running for that, and we'll come to that in a second. But the other thing that's starting to crop up is a lot of people are putting their name forward for Green for Council. There's almost as many. This past weekend when the Greens had their AGM, which was actually right before that COPE Unity meeting, ironically, it was like a day of Vancouver politics that we just didn't cover. Mm -hmm. But the Greens had a whole bunch of people come forward. So in addition to... Adrian Carr and Pete Fry, who have said they are running. There's Sung Wong and David Wong and Michael Weeb and Francois Michael Renault Weeb, eh? and Adam Abrams. Michael Weeb is the current uh, Parks Board Commissioner. For yeah. The is he going to run for council? Yeah. And so he's interesting. Has, he put his he's name forward really at the He's a really respectable guy. There is one thing I will note, though, uh, about those names. And you did name some, obviously. But, you know, you've got the Greens tend to be a bit of an affluent white party. Uh, they do have, you know, people of color and they do have, and I'm not saying that they're like a whitewash party, but I think that is a real issue that they're going to have to overcome is how do they appeal to people in Strathcona? And I think that's a question because they can get a, a, a wedge number of voters in Dunbar, you know, the, the, the environmental friendly people, they can get a substantial number of people on can in Canby, like the Canby corridor, Kitsilano, uh, Kitsilano. So. Yeah. Even the West end and, mm-hmm. and, and Yale town. Sure. Um, but how do they get, you know, Killarney? How do they get voters in places like Strathcona and Killarney and, 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 and Marpole? It's going to be curious. Well, and the other thing the Greens announced at their AGM is someone put forward a motion and it passed very strongly that they will run Adrian Carr as their mayoral <laughs> candidate. If she wants to. If she wants to. Well, she said, I haven't decided if I want to do that yet. Well, because honestly, they're still in the negotiations with Cope and with yep. One and City, and I'm sure that and, they're having conversations with Vision. Yeah, like I, I know that the, the the meeting that occurred was only Cope, Green, and uh, One City, but I'm sure that there are informal or formal talks going on with Vision as well. well. I know the Vancouver District Labor Council is planning a big. We want to bring all of yeah. these, including Vision, together. Mm-hmm. And I know some of my more leftist and, friends who are like, "That's terrible. Vision shouldn't be there." Vision and is then such there's... a toxic brand. 
And it's weird it. to me that Vision, whom I don't think have done much wrong, I think that they have done they've they've not done enough right, but I don't think they've done that much wrong. I, well, I think Vision's biggest problem is the marketing side of it is that they promised these huge mm. promises and so yeah. even though they did a really good job in making those problems better, we still have a huge housing problem. We yeah. still have it's a like huge home. Yeah. They literally said, they literally I will end homelessness. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like you cannot promise more than you can achieve. Yeah. And that is like that is one of the biggest failings of vision is they promise too much. That's Actually, kind of a yeah. general failing of democracy though. To win you need to promise the sky. Yeah. Well I mean that's the <laughs> that's the thing is that uh political parties are you know elections are weird. You, everyone gets a little bit a little bit screwball during elections is you had you know the BC Liberals chose not to make too many promises in the 96 election because they thought they were cruising to victory so they didn't make too many promises because they didn't want to be held to too much and then they lost and so in 2001 they made every promise under the sun including eliminating photo radar among other stupid ideas uh, and they had to follow through with it uh, and you have political parties do that regularly where they like, they, they, they try not to promise, the, the, the BCNDP tried not to promise anything in 2013 because they thought they had that election in the bag. And then that happened. Uh, and and so, then this last one, they promised getting rid of tolls and yeah. cutting MSP. <laughs> because and, they knew they needed, but, they wanted to win, yeah. right? And yeah. so, I don't know, you, I think when you're out of office, you make promises you can't necessarily deliver on. The, the federal liberals are the classic example in 2015 where they promised everything in the world. But it is true that you can hold them against that, right? Yeah. Well, and it's almost like the biggest thing you have to achieve in politics in general is making the promises and what you can achieve balance. Yeah. It's or at least being able to thing. say that, you know, we didn't do that, but, you know, we did this. Yeah. Or yeah. this new problem arose, too. Because, yeah. like, you couldn't have foreseen a fentanyl crisis necessarily. Well, and I don't think in 08 you could foresee the housing crisis getting as bad as it has. Yeah. I don't think anyone in 08 thought it was going to get to the point that it has gotten to now. Uh, well, and if you can pull up graphs, I think a lot of the worst of it's just come in the last two or three years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, so I think that's probably an exponential type curve where things are getting like a little bit yep. worse and a little bit worse. And then suddenly, oh, things have doubled in mm-hmm. times they shouldn't do. So that's yeah. where the bubble starts to pop up. But yeah, so vision is hated by a lot of people. And I don't think necessarily rightly. Uh, which means that if you know if, a, if an organization is hated for ephemeral reasons, there's a general feeling that they're not doing well. That can translate into an electoral destruction. Mm-hmm. Or you can easily you know come out of that and really f- fly your way as a phoenix, which Christy Clark did in 2013. Mm-hmm. Right? Everyone hated that brand. Everyone hated the liberals. They were polling in the 20% range, like 25% range. Uh, and Christy Clark smiled, put on a hard hat, and went to every event she could, and she won that election, right? Like, she won that election more than Adrian Dix lost it, uh, as much as Adrian Dix did also lose that election. Um, but, you know, the, I think Vision could come back based on that. Well, when you have a new person, provided they get a um, a candidate for mayor, <laughs> it, yeah. Question, yeah. Right? when you have a new person, which yeah. they may not, yeah. there is the ability to say, well, I'm a new person, and yep. I'm taking us in a new direction, or which, I'm going to lead us and do something different. Which, which is exactly what Christy Clark did in 2013. It is exactly what Glenn Clark did in 1996. Also, too many people are named Clark in our elections. Very it weird. confuses me. So this, let's call it the achievement gap between Vision's promises and their deliverables. 
mm-hmm. it seems big for many people and that's created a vacuum of sort of people have been dropping off the vision slate lots of most of the yeah. counselors are saying mm-hmm. we're not going to run again well i think i think a lot of them i mean you look at and it, they have been around for like, a while so they've been around for a while or they've gotten jobs in victoria like jeff meg's jumped off sure. victoria yeah uh, I think a lot of them, it is, you know, it's it's a change election. It's really clearly a change election. Even mm-hmm. the NPA can- candidates who should be smelling victory in the water are backing off, right? Like you've got George Affleck, who could be the leader of council, is not, not running again, right? And so I think everyone has sensed this is a change election. Well, and that's where I wanted to bring it to is there is this new focus almost of the NPA. Like you mentioned, they've spent several of the last elections going after bike lanes or trying to turn Vancouver back. And now following Hector Bremner's win in that by-election, which I think he sees as vindication of the message he ran on, which is essentially let's blanket rezone the city and let developers go wild and magically the housing crisis will be solved because supply. Well, and I don't necessarily disagree with a lot of that position. I'm just afraid of it. <laughs> I'm not afraid of it. I think that, that single family housing is a, 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 a mechanism, is preserving, sing- it is, I think, accurate to say that preserving single family housing and requiring that an area stay single family housing makes it housing for the affluent and that it's no longer accessible to people that are not affluent. I agree with that. But what more I'm afraid of is the just like the real pro development stance and the yeah. idea of bringing oh, in something... developers to solve the problem. Yeah, there's it's, something there, right? Because yeah. that's part of the problem right now. Mm-hmm. And he's developed from that by-election, the brand hashtag let's fix housing. You can yeah. see every yeah. one of the yeah. MPA candidates now pretty much except for Glenn Chernin, who's trying to represent the Cedar Party back in, like you mentioned, <laughs> the anti-bike lane party. Yeah. Maybe not quite. That well, may not be we'll fair see. to him. But. There, there has been an, a simmering battle within the, the NPA. I've been referring to it, and I'm, a, I'm an outsider to this. I don't know mm-hmm. it. Uh, I've been referring to it as the NPA civil war for a number of years now. And I think that there has been a civil war in there. Is You have uh, George Affleck and Elizabeth Ball very much come from a background of the 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 Dunbar the Dunbar Suzanne Anton NPA mm-hmm. uh, Melissa De Geneva I feel has been has been caught in between the two of them she's the other counselor her dad ran for the vision nomination for mayor against mm-hmm. Garrett Robertson and she has become a vision uh, an NPA counselor all in her own right and actually has done she's she's a fairly accomplished counselor who I disagree with on most things. Uh, but I think she's been torn between these two sides. Then you get Erin Schum on uh, Parks Board, who is now sitting as an independent because of what she considers bullying from what you could only describe as the gray hairs of the NPA, which is the, the, the older, white, west side NPA members. Uh, and Erin Schum and her her, her partner, uh, Gavin Dew, uh, Gavin Dew being a longtime BC liberal, longtime uh, right of center politi- politi- political type person. They're, they're, they're all fighting with Hector Bremner, potentially, although I think there's multiple sectors here, to try to get rid of this old guard of the NPA. And it's interesting to see it happen. And I don't know who's going to win yet. Well, and you even see this playing out in the media. You see uh, Gregory Baker, I think, is the president of the NPA. The He's... son of Jonathan Baker, who was the NPA council for, candidate for mayor in the 90s. Hmm. So you see Greg in the media frequently. And so the basic way of normal political a healthy let's say political party works is you have the candidates and they're the public face but then you have this internal bureaucracy to manage things and that's where your presidents and your Mm -hmm. chairs and they try not to take public stances that could alienate potential candidates 
I've seen Gregory Baker take some pretty strong stances and even go after people like Adrian Cook, Crook, who's one of the MPA yeah. counselors mm-hmm. now, saying, you're not running for us yet. Yeah, that was an wow. interesting one. Was uh, Hector Bremner announced he was running for mayor, which you're more than welcome to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then shortly after, uh, Adrian Crook, who is a friend of mine, and I know I, I quite respect the man. He's the Five Kids, One Condo? Yeah, five Kids, One Condo. Okay. Uh, really, really neat story there. Um, he, he announced he was running for the MPA nomination. Uh, and I think there were some mistakes that were made in his announcement. I think, uh, for example, he should have said outright in the announcement that he was running for the nomination for the NPA and he didn't, uh, but he hadn't pre-cleared himself with the party. Mm. Now that is a faux pas. You should pre-clear yourself with the party, but also the party should very quietly tell you that. And then sort it out behind closed doors. And like you said. Not in the pages of the Georgia Strait. It yeah. looks bad for everybody. Yeah. Because it, it makes the it makes party. makes everybody look bad. You're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah. It makes the party look disorganized because you're like, oh, you don't know who's running for you? <laughs> so everyone's coming out of the woodwork for, to run for the Greens. Everyone's coming out of the woodwork to run for the MPA. And most of these MPA people are sort of following on the, the, the Hector Bremner style. Yeah. That's what Scott's doing. Yeah. That's what Yeah. There's, 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 I don't want to say abundant housing movement because I think that abundant housing Vancouver is an organization that... I believe, because I'm a, a tacit supporter of it, uh, is an organization that is multipartisan or bipartisan or whatever you want to call it. And the organization itself is nonpartisan. Yeah. Uh, but it is true that a lot of their people are coming out for the NPA. And that is, I think, something that that organization is going to have to really look at deep down. Uh, Brandon, I think, came from there and he's going to one city. Oh, Brandon Yan. Brandon, Brandon, oh, Brandon yeah. Yan. No, no, Brandon Yan. Um, these are all old friends of mine. Uh, Brandon Yan is, I don't That's think... That's why I, we have you on the show. Brandon Yan is, I think, a, a, a supporter broadly of, of, of abundant housing. He's never been a founder. Uh, I think he he views a lot of more social justice element uh, things as being his priority, rightly so, I think, in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Brandon Yan is also a sort of supporter. That is a fascinating thing I will say about this millennial movement, is that there are a bunch of young people running for different parties, and they're all friends. Like Adrian Crook and Scott DeLangboom and Brandon Yen and Tanya Paz uh, and uh, a few others are all, we all know each other. Like they all know each other. They're all friendly with each other. They all chat with each other on Twitter. Like you can see their back and forths and you would never see a friendly back and forth between Andrew Reimer and George Affleck. Well, and it is really cool to see this movement of under 40s running Mm -hmm. for council. Yep. And a lot of people. And it's exciting. Even if, you know, I disagree with policy on some of them and others. Like looking at Christine Boyle, for example, I want to bring her up. She's one of the ones, I think she was the first to announce for the One City uh, Mm. nomination. She's a former United Church pastor, or maybe still. But she's really put together this strong message on Twitter and really reaching out. And I think she got a good column in the Taither Strait saying, Vancouver has lost its soul. And so she talks a bit about the importance of housing, but also in making sure that it's not just towers built by BD and other developers. And Oh, yeah. And she's talking, I, I think I read that article and it's like, you know, you need public art and you need to have community centers and because you need to have people brought together in order to build a city. And so I'm really excited about the way she's going forward. But this whole election is really interesting and exciting. Just It to- feels open. Yeah. It feels open season. It feels like anyone could win. And it feels fresh, too. Like, it yeah. feels like there's a bunch of new ideas coming out. And, I mean, like, you cannot fight a Vancouver election without talking about housing. Um, but it feels like that there's fresh outlooks on it, too. Mm-hmm. So we're coming to a good natural close. I think we're on a good, upbeat 
ex, you know, enthusiastic, optimistic note, which is where you probably want to stop talking or also get depressed if you talk about housing too much in the city. Either depressed or very angry and partisan. Hint, stay off of hashtag VanRE, right? Oh, I just post a hashtag VanRE. I never look at it. Oh, yeah. Do people look at it? I don't know. I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> but let's end with a little look at where the mayor race is because it's very up in the air. Mm -hmm. So we've mentioned Hector Bremner is seeking that NPA nomination. We mentioned Glenn Chernin, who was the Cedar Party and is now back in the NPA is representing maybe the older guard of the NPA. Outside of that... Well, all, Adrian Carr potentially. And Adrian Carr potentially. But outside of that, all we really have is a whole bunch of people who've said no. Yeah. Don mm -hmm. Davies said no. Don Spencer Davies Chandler said, no. said no. Libby Davies has Libby, said no. Yeah. Libby Davies, no relation, said no. Even well, it's, it's not uncommon for established MPs or MLAs to, to, to be, you know, speculated about and then say no. Often they'll, they'll pull together three or four staffers that they trust or people that they trust and say, can you do a, do a study for me? Like, like study this for me and tell me. And then they'll get a report and say, no. Oh, or they get a report saying, well, maybe. And if you're Spencer Chandler Herbert and you're in government and you're a senior MLA in the caucus who might get it, who is, who is actually managing some important files in terms of like committee, committee stuff. Of course you want to stay there. You're doing well, with good the, work. Yeah. With the very razor thin balance of yeah. seats. You'd look like such an ass. Oh yeah. yeah. If you resign. Well, I mean, his 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 seat is likely a fairly safe. It's safe, but you seat. still have to make John Horgan then do the. Oh, I'm immediately calling a by election to get another. After he waited a bunch of yeah, okay. After yeah. he waited, so yeah, there's because he would immediately yeah. call it right yep. because politi politics. And you also sort of feel like you have a responsibility because you were elected, and it's like such a small margin too. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of politicians who've gotten elected and then said yeah, no like jim prentice i think most recently was a pretty good one where yeah he he got elected in 2015 yeah but and, resigned before the votes had finished counting yes. in his seat because well, he went yeah because i'm only here to be premier yeah um, yeah but yeah it's, it's not uncommon to have a bunch of people bow out what is uncommon is to not yet have the scrappy young person uh, like Hector Bremner is the scrappy young person in yeah. the NPA. He is the yeah. scrappy young person who's come forward and said, I want to be mayor for this party. Uh, you oftentimes get that you, you you want to be the early mover scrappy young person, the Nikki Ashton or the, the Hector Bremner. And we haven't seen that yet for anybody because I think everyone's waiting for an agreement. Yeah. They need that. They need that. You know, vision is going to work with, you know, everybody and everybody's going to have a joint and so we'll see what comes of it. It's really fascinating that there isn't anybody yet announced or, or interested. I really want to see a young female candidate. Oh, Vision Thank has to Vision has to run a woman for mayor. Yeah. Vancouver has never had a woman as mayor. No, and and if Vision is going to run uh, a candidate for mayor under a Vision banner, uh -huh. it has to be. To my mind, it has to be a woman. Uh -huh. uh, Vision has never run a woman for mayor. Vision has run two people for mayor. They've run Jim Green and and and, and Gregor Robertson. Uh -huh. They need to run a woman at this point. The NPA have run a woman. For for mayor yeah uh cope has i believe run a woman for mayor uh, one city just actually announced its equity policy where yes. they're going to run an equal male and Balance female slate, slate and make yeah. sure there are a significant number of people of color and other mm -hmm. minorities in there which is at well they're already on that with their well, I, people I, I, coming forward I, I, I hazard to say whether that's progress um but i think because i think that you can always just because everyone has al always picks your you know, people, uh, your, your people to, to, to tick those boxes. Right. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that it is probably progress cause it's putting it in writing. 
Um, but I will say... It's Vision, a big debate we can have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I will say Vision had better run a woman for mayor if they're yeah. going to run somebody. And I don't know who it'll be. I really wanted it to be Andrew Rimer, and I, I guess I've lost that boat. Yeah. And it probably won't be Heather Deal at this point. No. No, I don't think so. Council, so. Well, that'll be the ongoing story of this podcast. Who's going to run against probably Hector Bremner? Yeah. <laughs> I, I would not count out somebody else coming forward for the NPA. Um, but it, it is interesting to note, though, that today is the cutoff date to get to get a membership in one city to vote for their candidacy. And so I would normally say uh, take out a membership in the political party to get your say, but you're not going to be able to. Um, but take out, if you're interested in the NPA or Vision or Greens or Cope or Cope because they still, still exist exist in a vestigial form <laughs> uh, take out a membership and get involved because you know cutting your teeth in a municipal election is the most weirdest fun thing you can do there's <gasps> also tinier parties that we're not even going to mention today but we will probably at some point like your political party Brett oh, Mullins YPP is going to run for so, mayor oh, don't even get me started Watermelon's going to probably run again for is that rumored? Since, I don't know I'm, oh, I'm making so. up that upper rumor now <laughs> I hope but, so fantastic well municipal politics is also one of the easiest ones to get involved with because it is the stuff that happens day to day in your community yeah, yeah. And it's so, your garbage collection yeah it's like it's the stuff that legitimately affects you every day and and the mayor matters for that like sam sullivan had a strike where garbage was not collected for like three months yeah rob ford got elected in toronto obviously oh. civic politics matter we're lucky we haven't amalgamated so you know i had a moment today where i forgot he was mayor oh that must have been an interesting world. It was so nice. Yeah, he was elected, in, I think, in the same year Nahid Nenshi got elected in Calgary. Yes, it <laughs> oh, was. Yeah, that's right, because there were jokes about that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then Iverson was not long after, too. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. Well, this has been Canby Report. You can find us on all the places on the internet. Make sure to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Thank you to the five people, I guess including myself technically, who have already left <laughs> did us. You, did you leave a five-star review for did us? Did you not leave us a five-star review? That feels disingenuous. Do you think you're awesome? Yes. Then you should leave yourself a review. All right. So there's there's going to be six people that have left a five-star <laughs> review soon. And leave some text. Mine literally said, I'm one of the hosts and this is going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone else listening should leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you're too lazy to use an iPhone or have download iTunes and do it, at least put it on Facebook or somewhere. Just tell, retweet us. Or create several accounts and auto-download our podcast. <laughs> sure. We're also on Twitter at Canby Report. We're on Facebook, Canby Report. And you can email us your thoughts, suggestions, what you want to hear, Report at gmail.com. Uh, I, if I could jump in, I, I, I want to say, email us. Send us a message. Connect with any one of us. This is the very, very beginnings of a podcast that we plan on running for the duration of the municipal elections. We will take any advice that we can get or any interest or input or thoughts that you have. Emails are really great when you're running a podcast because then you know what you want, like what people want to hear. And Erin, where can people find your podcast? Uh, we are at at the Tipsy Archives. We are a podcast that now soberly uh, talks about uh, all different kinds of history and you can follow me on Twitter at, at Redicopter um, if you like memes about cats. Thanks for joining us this week, Aaron. <laughs> Thanks.